Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today is a highly insightful conversation. It was such a pleasure to talk to Johnny Endress. We cover a number of different topics, a lot of different topics. His experience serving our country in the Marines, cybersecurity, big tech, and the issues facing our country in the digital world of the 21st century. But we also talk about fashion, gaming, and embarking on a journey of self-discovery and improvement. I'm proud to be able to share this with you. You can follow Johnny on Instagram at Endo2Dapper. Let's begin. All right. So I have Johnny Endress here. And this, I think, will be a really exciting podcast episode for listeners. The first question I have is, you were in the Marines. What was your experience like in the Marines? Uh, well, <clears throat> it, it was very um, illuminating for me because uh, I had uh, my grandfathers were in the Navy, right? And okay. everybody that, that was telling when I was looking at going into the military, I got told at a very young age, like you go to college, you do the military, either one you pick. But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That was kind of how it was laid out to me at a uh -huh. very, very young age. Um, and as I was kind of looking at things, um, <clears throat> Everybody told me to go into the Air Force uh, because I was really into computers, and uh, I just I didn't really like that approach. I had an uncle who was in the Army, but I didn't have a good relationship with him, and so I didn't have a high viewpoint. Of the Army. <laughs> so, so okay. and my grandparents were in the uh, in the Navy, and I didn't want to just go in the Navy uh, like them. Nothing wrong with their service or anything. I'm, I'm very proud yeah. of their service. Uh, they both actually did 30 years uh, wow. in, in the Navy, so. It was just one of those things like, what can I do? And it just happened to be that the Marines were, you know, the most badass um, <laughs> outside in looking at the time. And uh, I, I was very lucky in that uh, it just really helped me build leadership, build confidence, build discipline and order within myself. And, you know, I was kind of one of those quintessential like high energy kids, you know, very okay. low uh, attention span. And so you know, doing things like getting off the medication before, you know, two years before I signed up so that, because I knew if I am trying to go into the military, you know, I can't, I can't have these things holding me back. What, uh, so what do you mean by that? Uh, well, okay. So as you are starting to, you know, talk to recruiters and things like that, they're, they're making you aware of, you know, what, they, what is expected in the military. And so one of the quintessential being, um, like things you have to contend with being in the military is that you have to be prepared at any moment in time, you could be called to do, to, you know, serve your country or to, to go somewhere or do something. Somebody's going to ask you to do something and you need no questions asked, just start doing it immediately. Um, mm. And so if you have to stop and take your medication, if you have to think about the things that, you know, we kind of look at in, in civilized society is like, Oh, this is just, you know, getting your coffee in the morning and like, it's like, no, you need yeah, to, as I'm you need drinking to, be, my coffee you need to be dressed in the morning. You need to be shaved in the morning. And, and other than that, you need to be prepared for battle, you know? So it's just kind of one of those things as I was looking to have that outlook on my life, I wanted to ensure that, you know, I, I could figure these things out and do and actually do it without feeling like these things were a crutch or, yeah. or um, dependent because, on you know, anything else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. <clears throat> so, I mean, that really kind of really was more the entry entry process, yeah. but the military, I mean, I did four years right at 18 okay. um, and I was lucky enough to be in communications, uh, which kind of set the tone for my career because uh, I started off doing computers early in high school and then I didn't actually get a computer-oriented job when I first got in the Marine Corps, so I had to kind of like lobby the um, instructors at the schoolhouse to let me be in the uh, what's called like data communications okay. Uh, okay. section so that I could be on computers. And I was successful in doing that and actually attained a certification in the process. And uh, then that, you know, kind of carried out through my career. Really? So, so did you know... Did you, when you were, before you went in the Marines, were you kind of thinking to yourself, you wanted a career in computers of some sort? So then you, you went into the Marines and then figured out how you could pursue that from it or? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was like 13 or 14 when I really started like taking apart computers and putting computers together. And then that kind of like slowly, you know, started hanging out with more friends and then started playing video games. And so it was like, I was learning computers and I knew that I had this huge interest and then it was served by, you know, learning Photoshop and learning how to uh, build computers for friends and learning how to, you know, break jailbreak phones and like just all these different array of like computing things that I was doing. I was like, I definitely want to work on computers long-term in my life. And uh, so when I was going in, I wanted to make sure that I was going to have that be, you know, supporting uh, what I was trying to do. So uh, looking back, like, I definitely don't have any regrets about what I did. The one caveat that I would say is like, I didn't have enough um, experience or guidance early on to okay. differentiate like what a top secret clearance versus like a secret clearance really nets you in terms of benefits. Um, but that well, so what's a what's a top clearance versus a, a what was the other one? The uh... Uh, a secret clearance. Yep. So yeah. a secret clearance. I mean, you can. You, you, you can have very little background check. Uh, I mean, they'll do a background check, right? But you can, you, you don't, they don't really pour over who your relatives are or anything like that to get, to get a secure, secret clearance. Uh, and that basically means that you can handle systems that handle secret information. Um, and you can be around secret information and be trusted, right? A top secret security clearance is obviously a, a, a higher level of, um, of a security clearance and therefore the types of information you have access to, the types of skills that you need to have, and uh, you know the type of background that you need to be, you know, you, you, they don't have like, um, you know, fresh Russian immigrants with a background in cybersecurity <laughs> clearance, you know, any anytime soon. So right? how so, how <laughs> deep are these like background checks? Uh, they're they're pretty deep. Uh, I, I actually have a lot of friends in in the intelligence community. And I mean, they, they figure out who your relatives are. They question you on like where they've been and they kind of look over like, you know, a, a couple decades worth of your time and your family's time to ensure that you don't have any ties that could potentially create conflicts of interest for uh, the materials that are available in that uh, clearance. So how, how many people in the U.S. have this clearance? Or uh, I suppose there's different levels, right? But that's a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm not. Uh, 100% sure what that number looks like. Um, the intelligence community is a small community um, to begin with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it just it also means like you know in the realm of you know I, I think one of the things we'll probably end up talking about today is like there's a difference between IT and cybersecurity, right? Okay. IT is this focus of operational 
um, components of computer networking, right? So okay. uh, I can't get to this application. This application's unavailable. Uh, you know, hey, I'm, I'm having this issue. Like when I troubleshooting, just, area. okay. Yeah. It's just keeping the lights on type of stuff, right? That's, yeah. Like when you're in IT, you, you know how to keep the lights on and things like that. And cybersecurity is when you're actually leveraging like adversarial tactics, whether it's like defensively or actively um, in, in your network in order to, you know, break systems, right? And to break into systems. So okay. it's, a, it's a much different focus. And so um, that being said, when you're in that higher level of clearance, right, you learn uh, that higher level of security and, yeah. and you kind of understand those expectation, uh, expectations uh, from a different perspective, right? And so there's, there's going to be more protocols, there's going to be more uh, kind of defenses that are put in place. Um, and so you kind of just get visibility and, and, and like hands-on okay. to a lot of different things that you wouldn't uh, outside of, you know, a TS environment. Interesting. Before we get there, what, what was it like the four years you were in Marines? Like what, on a week to week, month to month basis, what, what did your life look like? Yeah. Um, so I guess there's like, like I, there's kind of three main areas that I'll, I'll break down is like, um, there's training right up front. You're, okay. you're doing training. So that's, that's your boot camp. That's your Marine combat training. If you're in infantry, you're going to go straight from boot camp to infantry training. Um, and that's quite a bit longer because your school is essentially like combat training, right? So, okay. um, people that have what are called like non-combative MOSs, which is what mine was, um, <clears throat> in communications, we get combat training. Uh, and then we go to our communication school okay, right? and, uh, or, or, or um, mechanics school or driving school or, you know, whatever your job is. Um, so then from there, now, what was interesting is that, uh, so I was in California for uh, my training portions uh, all throughout. So boot camp was in San Diego and uh, the, the combat training was in San Diego as well. Okay. But it's not like, oh, I was in California. <laughs> I was on base and I was looking at planes, flying places. And I'm like, oh, man, it'd be really great to be on one of those things. And then I would get right back to like my run or my workout or whatever that was. Um, and then after you complete training, right, you go into what's called the fleet. And then you're actually a part of your unit, right? And then whatever your unit's mission is, is like what you're involved in, right? So that means... Sometimes your units are leading up to a deployment. Sometimes your your uh, units are you know coming back from a deployment, or okay. um, they're getting ready to go. Uh, whether this deployment is to another country or to um, a humanitarian mission, like a responsive mission, um, there was a lot of missions in, with uh, like um, you know resources in Africa, resources in Puerto Rico. Anytime that there's like a natural disaster, we end up sending resources uh, there as well. So. Sometimes you could be called to uh, respond to some of those things. It really kind of depends on uh, what we what is termed as like the needs of the Marine Corps at the time. Right? So in the fleet, you can have a variety of experiences. Yeah. And that's what's also interesting is like, as you talk to more military people, everybody has a different experience, right? Not everybody um, has a great experience. I would like to say that mine was... Uh, pretty decent right uh it wasn't pretty decent that. is your pretty, response it's 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 hard to say it's a love hate you know what i mean because you love so many things uh, about it and marines have a huge um 
like, you know, I, I will forever see myself as a Marine. You can't, and I, whenever I see Marines out, I, I, I love, uh, you know, getting a beer with them, talking with them, yeah. you know, talking about all the war stories and things like that. And you just have this level of camaraderie that transcends um, anything else. Like whether, whether it's, a, it, we'll stop a business meeting to, if we find out, you know, that somebody's Marine, yeah. just to kind of talk about that and share uh, in that moment, just because the the perspective, the lineage, the um, the way that the Marines approach their life is is much different. So when you kind of, it, it's kind of a, a loaded question, right? Of uh, to ask an individual to represent, you know, their experience. Right. It's not the same experience for everybody, but yeah. we all we all trained, we all ate crappy food in the chow hall or in MREs, you know, and you know, lost plenty of sleep, slept in dirt, slept on vehicles, and it's. Uh, it's something that you kind of, um, you, you learn to love those parts of yourself and then you kind of uh, figure out what things, you know, need to, need to change from that because not every thing that you do supports you in, in life after the fact, right? Okay. And that's, that's one thing that we, that is, that is difficult because your training, especially as a young man, right? As an 18 year old or a young person, <clears throat> you are, are trained in a specific way to think this way. And this is what the mission is, right? Mm. But when you leave, right, you're no longer a part of that mission. Now you got mm. your own mission, right? Yeah. So what things did you do that absolutely support that versus what things, you know, maybe don't uh, support that anymore? So you have to, how did you transition back into civilian <laughs> life as far as like parlaying experiences and skills you learned in the Marines into a different, different life now? I mean, it was, it's tough. It, it's definitely tough, tough. I got out in 2012. Um, so, and it's 2020 now. And I would say in the past two years is when I felt like I was really succeeding in, in po post-transition life. Really? Um, so I would say it took me a good six years to, between where I was at uh, emotionally, where I was at from, you know, my, my uh, spiritual development, where I was at with my just personal development on, you know, what, what I'm ultimately trying to be in life and, and how I'm trying to locate that. And then professional development is a whole nother, uh, you know, ball game in and of itself as well, because not everybody understands how to translate military experience. And that was something that I had to learn um, very, very easily, right? You can, you can get a job uh, anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And and so finding out the, the best place for me in the market was uh, the hardest part of that is taking the skills that I knew I had and then figuring out, you know, okay, I go work for this company. Well, this is not, I, I like these things and, I, and mm -hmm. I don't like these things and this is what I'm looking for. Okay, take that to the next organization, right? I like these things. I don't like these things. And then slowly but surely, I just kind of like started zeroing in on this is exactly what I want to do. And um, and, that, and that was a, a tough transition to make. I had a ton of help um, in terms of, you know, friends and, and family. And, and there was a lot of people that I met in my life that were transitional, right, at that time of like, mm -hmm. they kind of met me in, in, a, in a place where, I wasn't, I, I was still in my Marine Corps mindset, right? And then there's kind of like post Marine Corps me that um, 
you know, a lot of people are still kind of getting introduced to in, in, in some fashion, right? Mm. Uh, so that transition is, is really more about like, and, and this is actually a story that so many people uh, are, are dealing with when they're getting out uh, because in many cases, a lot of people join the military because of a few di- different things, right? It's, it's some component of their, their country and, and, and wanting to serve their country and, and providing that, that selfless opportunity. Some people are joining because they don't have any other choice and other people are joining because their family did it, right? Mm. And so <clears throat> uh, in, the world of, in the world of your family did it, right? You, pro- you have a huge support system. You already have an understanding okay. and a connectedness to the military, unlike many people. Um, and we're talking about immediate family. Like if your parent was in the military, that's, that's what those type of people I'm talking okay. about. Um, and then, you know, people that wanted to serve, right? They, they depending on where they sit in the, in the spectrum of, uh, you know, warfare kind of depends on, you know, their experience. And also every branch is different, right? Marine mm-hmm. Corps is kind of a hardcore environment. That is a true military environment. Whereas like the Air Force is seen, is run a little bit more like some civilian organizations, right? They're not going to okay. like immediately start dogging you for something wrong. They're probably going to take a, a, a normal counseling methodology. Whereas like the Marine Corps just like <laughs> beat it out of you. <laughs> 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 uh, for, for lack of a better term, but uh, you, you get out, right? And you had all these accolades and all this understanding that served this one community that you had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, that was the, the warfare um, concept of just understanding how different countries go to war, understanding how uh, different methodologies in, in warfare and, you know, even, even the rank structure, right? If you get to a certain rank, you, you have people saluting you if you're on the officer side. And then you have, I mean, if you become a staff NCO, um, which is... <clears throat> which is a pretty high rank uh, in the military, that's, that's it. there's a kind of an old joke that says it takes an act of Congress to take their rank away. Um, that's how much it's earned, right? Wow. And yeah. um, so to even get that rank to begin with and then be able to excel in those ranks, you find somebody who's like 20, 20 to you know, 25, 30 years in and all they know is the military and then they get out and you know, mm-hmm. Joe Blow down the street or, or you know, the finance advisor, you know, that uh, is looking to hire you, they don't have any context to what that life is, right? They don't, yeah. and ultimately most, most, most people I would, I find don't really care. Um, okay. That being said, the people that do try to relate, uh, it, it's kind of, it, it's hit or miss, but uh, yeah, not, not trying to bring a, a negative attitude, right? It's just a, it's just a reality of being in the military is like, yeah. it is a wholly different world than, mm. uh, than what civilians uh, deal with, look at, and, and have to deal with. And I, I fully recognize, right. like, I may be a veteran, but I definitely am 100% a civilian, right? I'm not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned the last two years. You said, like, within the last two years. So what have you been doing the last two years where you, you feel like you've been uh-huh. finding yourself, who you are, and, and you're in your right groove? Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> well, I started in, I, I felt like I really started zeroing in uh, and taking charge of my, my personal career and my personal development in a different way. Um, because, um, <clears throat> like I did, I did kind of all the, the, what you would call like blocking and tackling, right. Of like, I stopped, you know, living with crappy roommates and I stopped, you know, drinking too much and, you know, mm-hmm. started smoking weed more and, you know, all you, those you're smoking you weed were- more. He said, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, when I got out, right, that was uh, that was something that really helped me transition. Yeah. And when I well, at the time that I was getting out, I was I was drinking quite a bit at the time. Um, but the smoking weed kind of helped me just but I started using it more effectively as, as time went on. Right. Initially it was just like, Oh, I treated it just like drinking and, and I tried okay. to replace it. Right. And in reality, it just supported me more when I started using it more like a medicine. Um, okay. and so that was, <clears throat> so coupled with all of, all, all of that blocking and tackling, when I started, uh, I started this company and there was just a huge opportunity in front of me. Right. Um, kind of creating my own, uh, space and and you know I, I had an opportunity to make a name for myself and it's also when I first started wearing suits um, so getting into that side of my life uh, what was kind of different so um, <clears throat> between you know getting involved into more things than just work and uh, choosing a job that was that was very difficult but was kind of creating a cornerstone for myself um, I, I was learning things that weren't necessarily related to the 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 ones and zeros and the technical stuff related to, excuse me, IT and cybersecurity. I was learning how to communicate with business leaders and how to, you know, create effective presentations and how to really, uh, you know, draw out and understand how to make things successful within uh, a solution or, or or transaction or things like that. So I, I started learning a, a great deal of um, business acumen that I wasn't. I was kind of. <clears throat> on the outside looking and doing from the engineering side. Okay. Uh, and, and so the, uh, this was kind of the first time really coming into the, into focus for me. And um, <clears throat> so that coupled with, you know, learning, learning, uh, you know, the fashion world, that's just kind of opened up my life. Uh, in, in a, in a so what got you into fashion? If you look that at whole, like your uh, John, Johnny's Instagram, <laughs> you're wearing like these really nice suits and stuff. How did you get into fashion? <clears throat> Oh yeah. So I started with this job and I had to wear suits every day. That okay. was just the, the, the culture of the company. And I had never been in an organization that had uh, required that in the military, right? You have your uniforms, you take care of your uniforms. Mm -hmm. And I always kept my stuff tailored and fitted well, Okay. but I didn't like, you know, uh, go find the best fabrics. Uh, and it was funny. I actually took a fashion dynamics class in high school. Um, and so I kind of knew about, some of the like how how brands worked how clothes were made and and mm -hmm. like some of the pro some of the business process behind some of that stuff but i just never really gotten invested in brands and even as a little kid like i didn't really like logos i never was a was a fan of that kind of stuff so i'd kind of done all these like little subtle things and and, and i could put together outfits and and never had a problem with color so when okay. i just started in the medium of suits right you get a couple of cheap suits and then I wanted to get them tailored better. And then I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I'm spending a lot on tailoring. Where can I just find better clothes to begin with? And then I'm yeah. learning, you know, okay, what kind of fabric is this? You know, how is it made? Where, you know, <clears throat> and just kind of really zeroing in on the types of fabrics that I'm uh, putting on my body and then uh, the, the type of fit that I'm, that I'm looking for. And just started developing a lot of different relationships. And then my wardrobe started getting better. And then I get stopped on the street by people saying like, hey, I love your stuff and, you know, would like to know where you got it and this that, and the other and started kind of consulting on my own uh, and, and helping people in that way. And then I started uh, designing suits uh, through um, a friend of mine's uh, brand as well. So it just kind of went the, the full scale uh, very, very quickly and even going as far as to like get involved in 
uh, Fashion Group International, which is a, a not a local group. There's actually it's a worldwide organization, um, and just seeing like different parts of the fashion community, from makers to you know people that are kind of doing the jewelry side of the house, and uh, just kind of learning from any and all environments and people, right? So it's uh, it kind of started off very organically for me, and then you know, just through, I'm a really big component of like, I don't like to buy everything brand new. I love okay. getting vintage pieces. So anytime I can go to a consignment shop or something like that, I mean, you can get amazing pieces that are like what I would say in the 85% quality range, right? You might have a little nit here or a little, yeah. um, you know, imperfection. Um, but I think that that type of character is, uh, you know, ultimately just something to be revered, right? As opposed to like, oh, that's, I'm not going to wear that. Um, so you can get, right. you know, highly subdued prices uh, in, in that case and, and have these still high, I mean, silk is still silk 60 years later, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, once I started embracing that and kind of learning more about the lineage of certain um, fashion houses and things like that, I started having a lot more fun and started finding, you know, a lot more uh, things that, I would not have thought of uh, beforehand, you know? Interesting. How much of fashion is confidence? Mm. I think that's an interesting question because it's, uh, I would argue that it's everything in, in that sense, because um, I, I actually look at, so there are things that, and this is something I would tell my clients as well, right? Just because something looks a certain way on me does not mean that I would have that be for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you're talking about the fit and how things fit, right. So we'll just take the fit for a second. Um, there's oversized and then there's like very tailored um, mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Some people like like the, the real thing in, in, suit, in suits that you look on Instagram right now, like everybody's, you know, wearing a super small T-shirt and, and you know, I got big muscles and the t- yeah. And the, the suit is tailored just as tight as, you know, a normal sweatshirt would be, right? Whereas when you kind of look at, you know, maybe an older guy uh, is going to have, you know, a bit of a looser fit and kind of like, you know, space in the sleeves and whatnot, and the suit still fits them, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's uh, it's tailored differently uh, versus like you have some fashion forward um, looks where, and you generally see this more on the runway or people like, um, you know, Kim Kardashian or, or Kylie, Jen- Kylie Jenner, or people like that, where they have severely oversized garments that are like inches bigger than they're supposed to be. And it's, and, and it's just cut differently so that it looks um, different. Right. And I think either way you cut it, it takes confidence to, to look at those things and say, that's what I want on my body. And that's mm-hmm. how I'm going to, you know, represent myself to the world. And so I think when you try to take that on to an everyday status of like, okay, what type of style am I really comfortable in every day? Like, hey, I've got an everyday sweater on right now. Like, I, if I'm going to step out the door, I'm going to grab a coat, I'm going to grab a scarf, I'm not going to change an outfit, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you are getting dressed up to go somewhere is a lot different than when you're just getting dressed for yourself. So if you can figure okay. out what makes you confident when you're getting dressed for yourself and then you're able to put yourself in spaces, you know, that – whether you want to be there or not, and you're still comfortable being yourself, then you've reached that like peak style confidence. Right? Yeah, that goes a long way. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> so are you guys still working on it? But 
like COVID, I know people aren't really going out or. Right. Yeah. I, I have, st- I've definitely stopped uh, designing suits uh, at the beginning of the year. I got a job uh, that I, I'm very excited to be doing what I'm doing now. And I wanted to put more focus into that. Um, so I've decided to kind of put that to the side. I still have a love and passion for it. I literally just went vintage shopping yesterday and hit up my tailor yesterday for a couple of pieces that I found. Um, so it's still very much a part of my life. And even though, you know, we're inside, I'm still investing in, in my wardrobe, but um, no, I've, I've kind of stopped put it, de- designing things just because <clears throat> it's, it's difficult to call on people right now and say, you know, yeah. Hey, do you want to buy a suit? And right. uh, it's like, well, uh, I'm in my PJs and have been all week. <laughs> it's like, me too, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? uh, and I mean, who knows how long we're going to be here? Who knows where uh, things are going to be in a, in a year from now? But mm-hmm. um, I think just where I'm at in, in my life, like, and, you know, this, this opportunity that kind of landed on my lap, like, I wanted to put all my eggs into that basket for a little bit. And, uh, and I mean, I'll still be adding to my wardrobe, you know what yeah. I mean? So there'll be... There'll be th- things that will come out in, in the next few years, and and I'll eventually put myself back into the fashion world in my own way. Um, but for right now, I'm not actively doing anything that's like okay. a brand related or anything like that. Got you. So now you're working in cybersecurity, mm-hmm. right? And you mm-hmm. touched a little bit about it earlier, but what what's the role of cybersecurity in our world today? Man, I, I think that's uh, and. And if you look at just the, the news in the past two weeks, I mean, there's been some really large hacks between solar winds and, um, you know, what's going on with FireEye. <clears throat> and so it, it's really interesting. The, uh, I was actually watching Al Jazeera um, earlier today, and there was some political commentary between some, excuse me, um, like information security advisors and national security advisors, and then some um, political advisors related to Russia, and Russia's, you know, co- uh, commenting, you know, no, uh, hey, no, we haven't done this, and, and what have you, right? And there's an interesting uh, conversation that that was uh, brought up that said, <clears throat> you know, how much of a cyber attack is cyber warfare, right? And, and okay. I think that's the that's the thing is that we really don't have definitions. Um, we're in what we would call the fourth revolution. Right, and that is the digital revolution, the information age, as it were. Right. And we're still finding and understanding these kind of like unprecedented attacks, um, where you know tactics they're they're very highly targeted. They have you know nation state backing in many cases. Um, it, it's funny we talk about in, in cybersecurity in the past decade. You've probably heard things like you know a 16 year old with a laptop and enough time can break into a lot of places, and that's very well true. Um, but from a net, from a like national or country perspective, the only difference between like premier level hackers is the amount of resources that they have at their fingertips, okay. right? The difference between somebody sitting uh, working alone or working with a small team is that they have limited um, resources in terms of time. They have limited resources in terms of um, potential compute, right? Of, of just being able to okay. invest in the the resources that they're working on from a hardware or software perspective. Um, and then they they just have a li- limited capabilities from a knowledge base uh, standpoint, right? You may have a few programmers, you may have uh, somebody who's really good at data enumeration or uh, you know uh, advanced techniques, but 
the when it really comes down to it, when you have more resources, your time window can be greatly uh, subdued. Um, so I think when you when you ask the question like, you know, what does that mean for our world today? I think we're all still figuring that out. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think that there are some really easy ways for for people to get involved and learn more. I mean, there's I don't have a college degree myself, right? And there are so many people like me that are in technology that uh, <clears throat> started just putting themselves in those spaces and started learning, uh, you know, what different things mean and how to secure themselves and uh, then, you know, started to kind of get jobs and, and get offers uh, based on their knowledge alone. Their knowledge um, and skills. Yeah. Right. But there is a 0% unemployment in cybersecurity right now. And that's because mm -hmm. the skills are very tough to get and they're tough to find. And there's just, you know, everybody. So a lot of people are changing over to cybersecurity. Um, <clears throat> but it's kind of interesting what it means for our time from an economic level, from a just you know where people uh, put their their time and efforts, and and it's a problem that everybody really needs to consider, right? Because absolutely, you know, you've got you've got finance, you've got you know healthcare that you've got to consider as as, a, as an everyday human, and, and cybersecurity is definitely on you know the top list. I was just going through you know my password manager and like you know what, I've I've reused some of these passwords. I need to go back and 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 correct that because you know if I'm not taking a proactive stance on my security then when it is compromised later, I don't really have a good excuse yeah. <laughs> as to, you know, why, uh, why things were done. What are some things that like everyday people should be aware of? Um, okay, so <clears throat> I mean, some of the simple stuff, right? I think in, if, you were to, if you were to pull up a YouTube video, right? And like top 10 cybersecurity tips, you're gonna hear things like, um, you know, don't connect without a, a VPN uh, or, or just get a VPN if you don't have one. I think so, that's... okay. So, I'm going to stop here right there. What is a VPN? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, let me let me break that down. So, it's a virtual private network. Okay. Right? So, let's, um, I'm a, I have a laptop. I'm inside of Starbucks and I want to connect to the internet, right? Okay. Well, by virtue of making that connection, right, anybody else, on the, depending on the settings of my machine, anybody else can see what type of traffic I'm sending, what, what my device is, like what is uh, operating system my device has, um, you know, what browser yeah. I'm using. Like you can tell very easily just by the traffic your computer is sending and, be, okay. and being connected to that network. Uh, and depending on what security software you have in place, that can make you susceptible to attacks, right? If they're able to gain that data, they could take advantage of it in some way. Okay. So when you have a virtual private network, you're actually encrypting the traffic from your machine so that it can't be broken apart, right? And then it's okay. a much more complicated uh, attack that is required in order to uh, break apart those encrypted packets. Okay. Uh, so a VPN is like you know a top level way to um, connect, to um, protect yourself. Uh, the things that you're going to run into there is like performance, right? If you are, because basically what you're doing is that VPN is now a proxy for your stuff, right? So depending on the type of VPN, you may have your traffic going, you know, over to Georgia to, to that server, right? And then being bounced back to your computer. So that's going to create some latency. Um, so oh. performance may be a consideration if okay. you have like uh, a game that you're trying to play or a app that requires a fast connection. Um, you may run into issues with those things and, and you would need to test those, right? Um, yeah. 
but that's also kind of like an advanced at, at that point if you're trying to run apps or games over it you're probably trying to do you know something outside of the everyday person right okay aside from that i think um you know other things that you can do to protect yourself is uh you know hey stop writing down passwords get a, a strong password manager and you know manage things that way because and, and set up two-factor authentication with anything and everything that you can really um okay. because <clears throat> having simple passwords like it, it's it's one of the simplest ways to crack uh you know if somebody does get something and what what's a good password and a bad password as far as the complexity and yeah so that's going to be dependent on uh how many characters and then how many types of characters that okay. you have right so if you just have you know lowercase letters and numbers uh even if that's a 12 digit password that's still going to be easier to crack than okay. like a nine digit password that has four different types of characters in it right so what's so a password manager a password manager is something like LastPass, or i think duo has one as well i know dropbox actually has one as well um, and basically what that is, is like, you can install it to your browser <clears throat> and uh, you can log into that and then it'll have all of your passwords for all your main sites uh, listed out for you. So then you can save, okay, my bank is bankofamerica.com. And then when you go to bankofamerica.com and you click log in, right, it can pre-populate or manage the password uh, input right there, right? So okay. you can either log in to copy paste and put it in there, or you can have it connected to your browser so that it auto fills, excuse me. And then that way you're not having to memorize anything. You don't have to keep it in a notepad, which is like the worst offenders or keep an Excel spreadsheet of all these things. Why, why is that? It. Because that can be hacked and you can. Yes, absolutely. That's the biggest problem, right? Is if you have these things sitting plain text, um, let's just say like you have a, you know, Excel spreadsheet, it's saved to your desktop, your computer gets stolen, and you mm -hmm. don't have encryption on your device, then you're, I can rip that hard drive out, I don't even need to boot the computer up, I can rip that hard drive out, read it through my computer, and then look on your desktop and see that item, open it up and then view everything. There. And that's not even hacking techniques, that's just what's available from mm. the machine, right. So mm. uh, being able to put that into a, a service or program that kind of manages that it it forces the attacker to you know look in that direction if they're trying to get a hold of something right because the only other if you if they're trying to hack you uh and like legitimately a targeted attack you they're they either got to go to the website and crack them so that they can get your password or they've got to okay. try and crack you right and okay. if you don't have your passwords or anything saved anywhere and it's through this service well then they're trying to log into that service if you have two-factor authentication in place, that means that when they try to initiate a login and try and you know get logged into your uh, list of passwords, then <clears throat> you are going to be prompted with that immediately, and you can say, "Hey, that's not me," right? And so it's just kind okay. of a, they, in security, it's about defense and depth, right? Some some things are deterrence, some things are, uh, but ultimately you have to just put more steps in, in place. And the, the adverse part of that, that people really fight is like, oh man, another password I gotta remember, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, if you can commit to learning one password and just have your password manager do the rest, then you can generate secure passwords 
you don't have to memorize anything and then it just does all that stuff for you. Um, I can't say enough about that because we we see so many banks uh, that get you know hacked and you don't know what level of information. And if you're somebody that uses uh, passwords over and over and over again, if somebody actually has a legitimate list with your email and the password that you always use, you just gave them access to you know everything right? yeah. uh, that that you log into. So it it takes it's more of that like hey. In the, in the grand scale, in the grand scheme of the world, like 99% of people are probably not being attacked as an individual, mm-hmm. right? But right. Uh, you, when you're when you're trying to protect yourself, you need to think from that adversary's side of the house and think, okay, mm-hmm. if I could do this, what what would I go after first, right? And, yeah. and where where am I going to find this information, and how can I prevent them to, from getting to that? How much? I don't know if you would know this, but like. How much of the military is transitioning into like cybersecurity? Oh, well, I mean, the military has been, um, I am not the best resource to represent sure. that, uh, to, to be 100% true with you. But the Marine Corps has been in, or, or, sorry, the military, all aspects have been uh, in cyber for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still advancing in their cyber command, right? So right. Um, much in the same way that we see like Space Force being created, right? They're still kind of creating the U.S. cyber command in, in a lot of ways um, and, and kind of bringing those resources together because you kind of have the, the bureaucracy of who does what and what command has you know control over what things and who checks who and you know where does the money come from and all that kind of stuff. And then you actually have like the 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 know-how and the people and, and all those things. And we've had the know-how and the people for quite some time, but it's, it's, it's a vast uh, world to, to cover in the, in the cybersecurity landscape. And so it's not something that we haven't been doing. It's just something that is a constant uh, fight. And that kind of comes to, you know, I think you're going to see more um, changes as time goes on and converging some of those like network and security uh, elements, right? Because in many cases you have cybersecurity people that don't really know how to set up servers and set up, you know, networks and things like that. They know, Mm. you know, what things to look for and what things they can take advantage of um, just in the same way that like an IT person knows how to set up a network, but doesn't exactly know how to break it. So I think you're going to see a convergence of those skill sets Okay. Uh, in, in the future and, and things are going to alter as m- more platforms and more things change, right? Um, something that's interesting is like if we look at uh, the wheel, right? So uh, think about luggage, right? Luggage has been around for millennia, right? <laughs> right. And, and wheels have been around almost just as long. Not until 1976 did somebody put wheels onto luggage. a suitcase. <laughs> yeah. right? And now you can't really think of getting luggage without wheels on it. Yeah. Right? Um, so I think we're, we're kind of starting to see some of those things really come to a head. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things, like, I don't really, I try not to worry about where everybody else is with, with Mm. things, right. You've got to look at what you have. And, and I, and I say this from the the perspective of like America, right? Like if, if we're legitimately trying to be a force in cybersecurity, then we have to look at, you know, all the areas of where, where our infrastructure sits, where are people sit and, you know, what are the high priority areas in terms of risk that we need to isolate first and then uh, start doing those internal audits and setting yourself up for your success. Yeah. Uh, something I was thinking about 
yesterday, or I have been thinking uh, during this election cycle, we did the mail-in voting and everyone that I talked to was like, oh my gosh, that was so much easier. I love that. I love that. Electronic voting, is that something that can happen or is it still, is it a risk or what, what does that look like? I mean, yeah, anything's a risk, right? There's kind of right. a, a joke. I'm sorry, what's that? Sorry, uh, you got cut off. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, your um, <clears throat> yours was cutting off too. So uh, your question was, you know, what does electronic look like in the world of cybersecurity, or electronic voting? Yeah, uh, is that is that something that's possible or is it too too risky? right now or uh, i think that's an interesting question right so i mean you have all kinds of platforms that are out there saying like listen we can protect your identities and hey we can mm-hmm. secure your data and we can we can do this and we can do that right and what it ultimately comes down to is um, any CISO that is in charge of an organization whether it's walmart uh, with the 250,000 employees that they have and, and you know accessing all the number the, the thousands of systems that they have right but when you look at uh, what the, their decision making is, um, it's kind of the same way. It's like, you know, hey, what do we have to do to manage these uh, elements of access, right? Okay. Uh, so how are you validating these people are who they say you are? How are you validating the mm. integrity of the data? How are you validating the availability of the systems that you're putting in place, right? And then how do you check the people that are also putting in those systems? Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I'm, I'm definitely a supporter of technology and I love to believe that if, if it can be created securely, then let's, you know, establish it. Mm-hmm. Um, how far we are from it, that's really hard to say because, I mean, we, we, flew, we went to the moon in 1969, right? Because mm-hmm. we decided to. Um, and I think when we decide to make that a, a component of, uh, you know, our voting system, then I think that it will be seriously taken uh, considered. But in the, in, the, in the world that we live in right now, it, it's really tough because we're also in the, in the world of like the largest misinformation that people have ever witnessed in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Half the links that you click on on Facebook and things like that, um, even with their protections in place are like, you know, pick me links or click me links that don't really mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of begs the question if you can't combat the misinformation and then, you know, how are you going to instill trust in security and the systems that you're actually putting in place when they're like legitimate systems? And especially when you look at, you know, the nuclear um, program being hacked. Now, although the current reports that I've read have said that this is a business side and, and I know from being in the military that many um, mission or operationally focused systems are air-gapped from like kind of the, the, the administrative side of the house, right? So just because you're like in the nuclear program doesn't mean you have access to the keys. So what, what is that ex- an example of? Is that a recent one? Yeah, yeah. That was actually, that's one of the big hacks right now that um, was part of the solar winds hack. Okay. Uh, and they got into um, one of the, pro- one of the uh, systems that had that govern our um, nuclear program. Okay. Um, but it was, again, it was on the administrative slash business side of, of managing that program as opposed to the, like the mission side of like, Hey, you know, this, th- this 
computer system or terminal manages this missile directly, right? Or this yeah. this um, this nuclear program directly, right? So the the difference there is is or what I was trying to represent there, right? Is that even in the scale of the attacks today, it's still you you still have to do a deep investigation into exactly what happened, mm-hmm. and then you still have to bring that information to the people and then explain to them what happened but you still have interpretations, right? So yeah. the, the biggest problem is, is going to be adoption of, of the of the systems as well as the security, right? Because if, if you haven't fixed the security problem, then, you know, your, your adoption isn't going to be great because, you know, people don't trust it. And then if your adoption is great, but then you don't fix the security problems, well, now you've just, you know, hurt all the people that were ready to embrace this new system and now they can't trust the system because it's been compromised. So you right? have to, so, it comes down to commitment. And once you have a large pool of people or organizations that commit to something, that's when you're able to actually go all in and look at it just wholesomely and just figure it out. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, right now we're not ready for that. That's interesting. Um, what about, I'm just so curious about like big tech you know, like say Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, the technology and the data that they have. I'm curious about like in the 21st century, what is the role of those companies and as individuals giving our information to them, the responsibility and and who oversees that and there's not really a question there, but I'm just like <laughs> curious about like yeah, no, tech and, and ethics and I don't know, you know? Right. So, well, I mean, ethics is, is one thing, right? I can't really comment on the ethics side of the house right. because that really comes down to um, governance, right? And in, in, mm-hmm. uh, when you start getting into the segregation of duties and hey, these, these people um, can, can manage this component of like you can have a data controller and then there's the people that can actually, you know, manipulate the data. Right. And so you kind of have those checks and balances uh, in place. And that exists in, in a variety of spaces. But taking specifically, like, you know, anytime anybody's evaluating putting their information into a, um, you know, SaaS based application like Dropbox or OneDrive okay. or something like that, or if you're looking at infrastructure as a service, right, for your Google Cloud platform or your AWS platform or your Azure platform. Um, you are ultimately taking on the responsibility, right? The individual. The individual, right? So there's kind of a, in the terms and uh, conditions of the service agreement between you and that provider, uh, there is a level of responsibility that's that's like displayed there, right? And they're basically- Do you read the terms and and services? uh, Only when it comes down to like specific questions around levels of of, um, service or, or- um, availability or uh, things like that. I'm not going to sit there and read every single one of them. Right. Um, and there is a lot of tools out there and and, uh, and kind of like know-how that are put in place to help represent these platforms in, in, a, in a real way. And that's done through, you know, components like CASB and things like, or, um, like cloud access security brokers that can kind of okay. break down the um, risks associated with certain platforms and whatnot. But uh, that being said, it comes down to like, hey, listen, 
if I delete my own data or if some malicious attacker deletes my data, you know, they're not responsible for it. Okay. Right? And in some cases you have shared responsibility where they are just as responsible as you are responsible for the information that's in there. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that's different as well. So, you know, when you talk about what big organizations have to do ethically, I, I think they're already, you know, in the, in the world of like, we are doing the best we can to create a secure environment, to test that secure environment and to mm -hmm. update uh, and, and fix problems with the environment that we uncover. Right. I, I think all those systems are really in place. And then it really comes down to, you know, are they, are they actually being effective? Cause I think a bigger problem is not even necessarily the security that's oriented around those organizations, but the, um, their ability to economically do what they like, right? And that is an interesting conversation when you start talking about Facebook and how these social media um, organizations are really data warehouses that, you know, sell seconds of your eyeballs to organizations, uh, you know, in order and to- they, And they get that information for free. We give it to them, right? Yep. Yeah, and we give them that information, absolutely. And what's interesting is like people like Google- have always been like, listen, you you sign up for our service. We'll give you Gmail. You know, you can have email, and and mm -hmm. hey, we're gonna we're gonna take a little data off the top. We're gonna use it, and we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll see you guys later. You enjoy the service, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the difference is in in social media is that they're taking so much more of who you are, yeah, as opposed to just like usage statistics. Um, and, and creating profiles around like, I can go and put an ad together around like, you know, what this person does for a living. You know, mm -hmm. are they a family person? What's their age, right? Yeah. What are they interested in? What are their other likes, right? And, and what other accounts are they following and things like that? So you can really pinpoint people that are susceptible. Uh, and then you also have like usage rates uh, coupled with that of like, hey, this person, after looking at this for five seconds, you know, this person clicked on this ad and bought something and, yeah. you know, people that people that scroll past ads and, and buy something, you know, anytime this person is doing this at a certain time, they can actually put, create an algorithm that presents that yeah. ad at the most opportune time that that person right. is likely to buy something. And these are things we need to be thinking about as individuals, as like, Americans and just like the world, like we're, you know, we got to figure this out, right? <laughs> so what does well, this mean? It's funny that if you talk to any, you know, I really don't like these terms, but like Gen Z person, okay. right? That's like in the 18 to, or I would even say like 14 to 21 year old bracket right now, uh -huh. they know that they are being advertised to like literally at every turn. Like they are yeah. fully aware um, in, in many cases that if they're on these platforms, and hmm. for them, like, it's, it's just like, this is how the system was built. Right. And uh, it, it, but it is really incumbent on us to, you know, understand how these systems were built and decide whether or not they serve us, you know, and yeah. ultimately if somebody, if some organization is able to make billions and billions of dollars off of you as an individual, you know, that's where things like GDPR, you know, general data protection regulations that was uh, debuted in the EU a few years ago, um, was that entire compliance is designed around protecting personally identifiable information. And it's down to the okay. religion you have, to your age, like anything that is associated with your name needs to be managed a certain way. 
And I need to be able to request to not only see it, but also to have it fully removed from your systems in conjunction with that. Uh, so mm -hmm. that people that are certified as GDPR and meeting those data regulation standards, that I know that they're handling my data in that, in that particular way. Interesting. Right. And so that was a really good cool. example of, you know, a, 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 um, a government and a people kind of coming together and yeah. saying like, listen, these are the standards by which we want our data managed so that our people can, can decide how they want to um, do the data. And then know that on the other side of it, that compliance is, is guaranteed. Mm. Those are some uh, big ideas to chew on. Some big thoughts going in a different, a little different direction. I'm curious about gaming. I I'm not really in this community. Um, okay. uh, you have all these these tech skills. I feel like gamers tend to like know how to do stuff, like with wires and electronics and networks and everything like that. Uh, what is the world of gaming like? Uh, well, that's interesting, right? Because um, it's funny. I would say PC gamers have a a good understanding of, uh, and, and if they've built it themselves, right, they have a good understanding of like, okay, this is how the computer works, right? And this is how um, the operating system handles things. This is how my data is handled. This is how the, you know, the drivers work to connect my hardware components to the software. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also, you know, console gamers, right, which have been around for many years since the 80s. Um, and mm -hmm. that's a whole different um, So there's like side of the house. And, okay. Right. So I think game, for, for me, gaming is much larger than just like PC gamers, even though I predominantly am a PC gamer. Okay. Um, I, I, I still look at people that like, Hey, there's, um, there's actually a documentary called fistful of quarters that I should, I, I think I want to recommend you check out. And it's, a, it's about people that play um, arcade games competitively. Right. Okay. And, and that's they, becoming they, a they, very big thing now, like esports and, and, yeah, those are around newer games for sure. Okay. Um, but they have had like world championships for like Donkey Kong and Miss Pac-Man. Oh, okay. like sure. But the difference is, is that you had a machine and you kind of had to go, you had to be, the machine has to be validated working and whatnot. So mm -hmm. the difference there for esports is now they're playing a game that everybody's playing at home. Right. And okay. the, the, what's, what's interesting is that when COVID hit, they uh, they wanted a lot of people, like a lot of people were like, why can't we just play the games from home? Because in true like, uh, you know, game conference, you know, sports fashion, people were saying like, no, you come here, it, it, you play in front of each other, it's yeah. on validated systems in front of people. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you see the, the live action. And, um, and so there's kind of this interesting uh, conversation right now of like, can we, do esports remotely, um, and I, you know, I think that kind of remains to be seen. But the gaming community is like really interesting because you have all these different types of games uh, that okay. are out there, and, and and we're talking about genres, right? So you have your F FPS games, you've got your RPG games, and uh, racing games, and just uh, puzzle games, or you know, horror games are is a really big thing as well right now. Um, and so I think when you look at the type of system that you're playing and the types of games that you're playing, you could be playing, you know, altogether different around altogether different people, uh, just based on the types of games and, you know, what console you're on or, or some people, you know, swear by only, they only play on Xbox or they only play on PlayStation. Right. And then 
you're just in whatever that ecosystem is uh, to begin with. So would you say that there's like a different culture around if you're PC gaming versus PlayStation versus this genre of game versus that genre of game, like there's all these different niches of the gaming community? Yeah, for, for instance, right? Um, well, let's just take PC uh, gamers uh, to begin with, right? So there's, there's people that will buy, uh, you know, a, a system because they want to play a game and they're just using the PC system, right? Yeah. And um, so they're not altogether different from a console gamer in that they bought a device and then they game on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are gamers that, like myself, that started off building machines and then wanting to run certain games, right, at a certain yeah performance level and then those are what i would call the enthusiast gamers right and they're trying to achieve a certain level of performance and so they upgrade their machine in uh deliberate ways in order to ensure that performance whether that's you know putting in solid state drives whether that's getting a more powerful monitor to actually display frames at a higher rate or at a, a a higher resolution right so that um and you don't have those options in a console right you yeah. plug it into the tv and then if your TV's 1080p or 4K or whatever, then you're kind of relying on whether or not the machine can actually translate, you know, those different resolutions and whatnot. But I think that's kind of the difference is that when you when you meet a PC gamer, depending on whether or not they like building their own machines is going to be the, the big difference on um, the type of gamer there are. Because there are people that spend, I mean, thousands, I've spent a couple of grand on my machine, but I'm very like, I upgrade it every three to five years and then I don't touch it. Right. Um, okay. Some people are like, I need this launch. I need, I need this at launch or they're, or they're like, okay, I want to have a whole water cooling set up, which is a whole thing in and of itself. Right. Or they want water cooling. What, what is that? Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's water. So um, PC parts or, or just hardware in general has um, some heat output, right? Your phone right. gets hot when you're using it. So you can't get away from the thermodynamics of, uh, you know, electricity moving through hardware components. And as hardware components get designed uh, better, you have better cooling components, but you still need to have um, extra cooling. And that means fans, that means okay. um, bigger heat sinks in many cases. So like a, a graphics card manufacturer, like NVIDIA, will put out a reference card. And then that reference card will be taken from another manufacturer, like uh, like an enthusiast manufacturer, and they'll basically take that card. They may make some modifications to the software on it, but they'll almost always add hardware to it, which is comes in the case of a bigger heatsink and more fans so that the cooling is better so that they can push the card harder in order to make a, a, it perform better. So huh. when you use water cooling, you get a better, you know, design from a actually being able to take heat from things because yeah. uh, water takes heat away much easier than air does so you can connect your you know cpu and your gpu to water blocks mm. which essentially put the processor right underneath the water block and that acts like a radiator um and then they have you know constantly cycling water going over it that's cooling it and pulling the heat away and then going to uh to elsewhere in the case so gaming can be whatever level you want it to be. It can be pretty, pretty Absolutely. elaborate to just, uh, I enjoy playing this game. I'm going to play it for five minutes. Yeah. Wow. Right. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely not a, um, a hardcore gamer myself. Like, love video games. I play a lot of different types of video games. I like FPS. I like racing. I like RPG stuff. 
Um, but I'll probably hop on. There'll be some weeks where, I mean, I, I know I did like 30 hours of, uh, of a game in a, in a, in a two week period uh, when need for when I found need for speed heat. Right. But this past week I've probably pay, played maybe four hours. Right. So I'm a very, you know, infrequent um, game when I find time to do it or have the availability to do it, I will. But that's kind of what I love about that community is that there you you have so many different people that do so many different things and they can usually show you a game you've never seen or um, show you, you know, some technique that you haven't thought of before or something like that. So the gaming community is, is, uh, is very rich. There are some people that are like, if you go into a chat room, right. Or if you go into uh, like a game and try and play against competitive people, then it can get a little bit toxic, right? Because you have people sure. that are like trying to to win, and yeah. they're so con- intent on winning that when they win, they want to let you know, "Hey, by the way, I won." <laughs> so, uh, so that can be that can be a little obnoxious uh, here and there. But generally speaking, I would say like most gamers are awesome people. Yeah. Do you have what are three books that you've read that have influenced you? Um, okay, so. Actually, real quick, I'm going to run and grab uh, this book because I, I did want to uh, show it to you. Yeah. All right, so um, this is my number one book, right? And this is called The Four Agreements. Four Agreements, interesting. Have you read this? I I have come across that. I forget. I don't know where I, I came across it. The cover is very distinctive. I remember it. Um, I don't know if, I wonder if I got one at an estate sale or... I, I'm a... I'm aware of that book, but why don't you describe it for listeners? Yeah, so it's it reveals the source of self-limiting beliefs. And then it gives you four agreements that you can make with yourself that if you adhere to these agreements, that you will find uh, and enable yourself to remove suffering from your life, okay. right? Because at the source of our experience, is our interpretation of, uh, you know, whether or not this is serving me or whether or not this is making me suffer, mm-hmm. right? And so by analyzing these agreements, and I'll read them uh, right here, just and then we can uh, chat about them. But uh, the first one is be impeccable with your word. With right? your this word? Kind of, uh, you say word or work? Word. Okay, gotcha. Yep, W-R-O-D. Say what you mean. Uh, Do what you yeah, say. say what you mean. And only what you mean. If you yeah. if you speak against yourself, um, or if you gossip about other people, right? That's kind of like a computer virus. At the end of mm-hmm. the day, right? It's you're 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 introducing bad energy, uh, mm-hmm. and therefore you're not really putting yourself in a in a, in a good position because you're mm-hmm. either putting that negative energy within yourself, and then mm-hmm. you are reflecting on it, and you are keeping that energy in that place, or you're giving it to other people. And then you're either being perceived as that way or worse yet, like you're instilling those, that negative energy yeah. within others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, don't take anything personally. Which Ooh, I, which I, that's a hard one for a lot of people. 
that is the for toughest, everybody really that yeah. is the toughest one um, because there's so much in our brains right that when we're you know sitting here looking back at you like I didn't start my day off today that well right I just okay. my energy wasn't there I was still excited to come here and to talk to you and and to to have this experience but even leading up to it I was like oh man is he gonna see that I'm off is that gonna like ruin the this that and the other and it's like well no like Rich is here and, and I'm here and we're just here in this experience. Yeah. And, you know, even if things uh, get misinterpreted or uh, what have you, like it, it is a very difficult thing for us to not take those personally because yeah. especially somebody who is very self-development oriented, they want to look back and say, okay, what can I do better for the right. next time? Right. But then there's just times where it's like, this is not for me. This is not the energy that I need to take on because that's coming from somebody else. Right. Yeah. And whether that's uh, somebody expressing their, you know, uh, how much better at gaming they are than you. And they <laughs> them, right. Uh, or, or something like that. Like, just don't take that energy with you um, throughout the day. And I think that's probably been one of the most important ones uh, for, for me. And, and, mm-hmm. and especially just, you know, hearing your reaction to it as well is just kind of like, man, that's a that's a tall order. Right. Yeah. To, to, to do that. And so. Um, it's just interesting how they, this is a short book too. I, I encourage everybody. I mean, it's, it's less than 150 pages. Okay. Um, so it, it's really good. And it kind of gives you some, some simple tools and thought processes to put yourself through to kind of like test the theory and, and understand why the agreement is, is mm-hmm. very meaningful. Um, <clears throat> and the third one is uh, don't make assumptions. Ooh, uh, nice. And I, think, I think that is the toughest uh, the, the second toughest one for the for the um, reasoning that you are you're constantly gaming out, right? Like, okay, you know, I just met this I just met this person. I'm really excited about them. You know, I'm I'm gonna take them on this date, and then you have this date experience, and they're like, oh well, are they interested in me? And are they, you know what I mean? And it's like you kind of game with yourself a little bit, yeah, because you want things to be successful. Mm-hmm. but when you make those assumptions or when you create these validations in your mind, then you're assuming, right? And mm-hmm. so some people look at those as like, oh, no, I've already thought about it. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, great, but have you checked with that individual? And it's like, right. well, no. <laughs> so in so many times, whether it's a personal um, tip that somebody has with somebody or whether it's you know somebody trying to establish a new relationship or um, trying to interpret, you know, why my manager treated me this way with this workload or what have you. Um, anytime we're revealing those things to ourselves, we should ask like, okay, what do they think about this? If I brought this up to them, what would they say? Yeah. And then go find that out, right? Because the reality is almost certainly not as bad as you think it is in many cases. <laughs> yeah, it's true. What's the last one? So the last one is always do your best. Okay. And I think this one um, is important for removing suffering uh, from a proactive perspective because and, and, and the example that I used earlier of like, hey, I didn't have the best morning this morning. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was you know, kind of nervous about coming into this. But I always know that whenever I'm in a, in a new situation, I'm still trying to do my best. I'm the best Johnny that I can be right this moment, mm-hmm. right? And so if you did your best, then you have nothing to be sorry for. But when yeah. you withhold, right, something from somebody or like if you're if you see somebody crossing the street, you know, what I mean, and they're about to get hit by the bus and you don't 
reach out and, and grab them by the neck and pull them back, you know, then you didn't do your best in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And you might look at that situation as like, wow, that uh, was an opportunity that I could do better. Right. And mm-hmm. so when you start taking more of those opportunities to do your best and to just also forgive yourself for the times where you're not at your best state. And I think yeah. that's the toughest thing for people to do sometimes um, because even though we always want to do our best, we're not, I mean, the times that we are in our peak is like 1%, right? <laughs> we're, not, we're not computers. Things, we're humans. Right? We're on computers. I, you know, I'm, I'm halfway through a meal or the last thing I ate was too spicy and now it's making my stomach feel weird. Like, yeah. you know, it's uh, there's always something going on that's, you know, taking our attention away or that's, um, you know, kind of bubbling up for us or maybe something at work, maybe something, you know, oh crap, I got to pay this bill. And, you know, that means I'm not going to be able to, you know, get Christmas uh, gifts in, in, the, in the manner in which I wanted to and what have you. And, uh, you know, just teach yourself to be a little bit more forgiving. And, you know, understand that it's okay to just do the best that you can at that particular time, make amends with it, and then just keep, keep showing up and, and doing your best. So this, this book, The Four Agreements, is the number one book that I would say, like, read it, think about it, think about how you think about your life. And, you know, I, I, I would argue that that approach is, is an interesting one. And, you know, it comes down to with anything, right? It's, a, it's either effective or not effective. Right? Some people are mm-hmm. very effective with taking on astrology uh, and, and some people don't really think that's effective for them. So yeah. um, the other two books that I would say that were really meaningful to me was um, number one was Atomic Habits. Okay, and I've heard of that was, one. Yeah, that was um, a James and I want to say his last name's Blunt, but I'm probably wrong about that. Um, but that was really interesting because James got into a... Oh, James Clear. Apologies. It's okay. James Clear. Um, <clears throat> but it talks about uh, transforming your life with tiny changes in behavior. Right. Okay. And so he kind of went out and, and this is this is interesting. I know I listened to this in audiobook form, um, but he talks about getting one percent better every day. And so there's this interesting um, uh, quote that from him is that, um, you know, Anybody that shows up and, and is a very talented person but doesn't put that effort in is, is going to be outperformed just mathematically. They've done statistics and tests and all kinds of things to represent this and that rather than somebody who deliberately makes that a part of their everyday functionality, right? And in terms of like, listen, I may not be the best boxer in the world, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this, this uh, uh, bag every day, right? And I'm going to run every day. And I'm gonna, you know, practice my stance and my steps, and and you know, put myself in the ring so that I can get beat up a little bit and, and, and toughen myself up. And that person is gonna be more likely to want to fight than somebody who can, you know, land that good haymaker, you know, once every five, <laughs> you know, times. Yeah. Um, and so I just, t- I, I thought that was really interesting. And um, I mean, how how can you how can you get better, right? Is just making those those one percent changes of like, okay. I didn't do this today, but tomorrow I'm, I'm doing those do you, dishes. Right? Do you have any uh, habits you do on a daily basis that you feel make your day better or, or get you in that right mindset every day? Oh man, you know, I, I got to look at fashion. That's like the number hmm. the number one thing. If you, if you feel good um, and, and that comes down to even taking care of yourself, doing the proper self-care is like the number one thing that uh, you can do to make yourself 
more productive, right? If you're, if you're constantly rubbing your face because it's dry, like put moisturizer on in the morning or before you go to sleep, right? Okay. If you're constantly messing with your hair, like wear a hat or, or do your hair, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Whatever's going to make you um, productive. In the military, we always dressed for whatever the activity was, right? So I had a okay. certain dress for formal. I had a certain dress for PT. I had a certain dress for, uh, you know, just my everyday activities and things like that. So in the realm of preparedness, self-care, keeping yourself clean, keeping yourself, you know, looking and feeling good is the number one thing that I feel like makes people better. The other thing I would say is journaling. Mm. Journaling things is, is pretty huge because you, when you write things down, the experience and actually taking the time to write it down, your body interprets that differently neurologically than just typing. Right. And if I just type like meet with Rich to have amazing conversation for a podcast, right, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be as uh, steered into my memory as Mm -hmm. actually writing those words out. And so the interesting part about that is that you're you kind of learn to remove the clutter of your brain by giving yourself the time to write out the things that you needed to. Then you also kind of go through that exercise of okay, what's the most succinct way that I can put this to myself so that it's meaningful when I come back to it? Okay. Um, and then another part of the, the uncluttering is sometimes you just have to, in order to get a new idea in your mind, you have to release all of the things that you believe subconsciously. And that means that you have to just write them out. You have to just keep going. And, and then you look mm-hmm. down at it and you're like, okay, I don't believe that. Why did I write that? Right. And then you can mm. kind of start to get under the covers a little bit of that, of your subconscious self to say, okay, that's why you believe this, this stems from this. And then you can work on those components um, um, separately. And then aside from that, just having a, a single place to know like, all right, this is something I need to do and, mm. and writing it down. I've just been able to manage tasks a lot better and also set expectations for mm. a, a little bit better. Cause I know like, okay, I got five things on my list and you're asking me to do that, which is going to reprioritize my list. So that means I need to set better expectations with you for my time right now. Mm. Uh, so that's a big one. there's a lot of different areas that I feel like journaling kind of comes into, can come into your life and, and be advantageous for you know anybody of any walk of life. Um, but yeah, and, and then it just gets better to, to write things down and to communicate with people and things like that. <clears throat> then do you have a third book? that's been influential on you? Um, so I was trying to think of stuff that I like read over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. And the problem is, is I've done uh, a lot more reading this year than I have done in, in the past, of course. Um, but actually I just finished um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Boss. I haven't um, heard I, this one. What's okay, it, so this what's it one about? Is, uh, Chris Boss was an FBI a hostage negotiator for international situations. And um, what was special is that he really kind of pioneered an empathetic and methodical approach to negotiation rather than like, oh, this is how we do it, right? They kind of put people, used real life situations, reviewed them after the fact and tried to figure out why things didn't work and then uh, take a a new approach to things, right? And so- in, in the spirit of negotiation, he, he kind of sets the stage that negotiation belongs in everybody's life. 
you are negotiating with every person, you know, with, with, with your kid to whether or not they get a cheese stick before dinner, you're negotiating with your parents, right. To, to get an allowance or to be able to get this job that you want to have, mm -hmm. um, or, or what have you, uh, or even just, you know, negotiating for a job or for rent or what have you. So negotiation is that every single transaction, um, no matter how tied it is to financial perspective or to any, um, anything. Anything that you are expecting an outcome for, you have to negotiate for. Mm -hmm. um, so he kind of gives you, <clears throat> now I wasn't really good at um, like recalling exactly, okay, use this step for this situation, right? right. You have to read the book for, for that level of okay. analysis. Um, but my big away, takeaway from it is that, um, you know, when you are evaluating people's responses, if you evaluate where those responses are coming from and why, um, you know, it, it's generally speaking, it's a what's in it for me world, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't ask for everything and then get, you know, expect, uh, expect them not to come with a price tag of some sort. Right. 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 And, and conversely, you know, that there are some things that you can't get. Right. And so how do you close the gap between this person, uh, wants this for me, right. Mm -hmm. And I need this from them but I can only come this far and they're not trying to move at all, right? How do you get them mm -hmm. to move closer? How do you, and it, and it's kind of, um, I look at it as like, I always try to put things in visual perspective and, and coincidentally that ultimately ends up into, you know, <laughs> me versus that other person, and like, <laughs> like a ring or something. And you know what I mean? Like every, every, every statement or every, um, everything that you're putting forth is is a dodge or a block or, or a hit in, in some cases so how you decide to deploy your communication capabilities determines what that outcome is in, is ultimately going to be okay. um, so it, it's kind of helped me take negotiation a little bit more seriously and um, you know I started off being an engineer um, in IT and things like that so as I started to get closer to doing sales and doing like engineering sales, which is, uh, you know, more in the statement of like solution providing and um, talking at, for, from a business outcome perspective, as opposed to talking through the actual technical components of architecture. Mm -hmm. It's really helped me kind of uh, understand and establish some of those sales methodologies inside of the process of working through, you know, discovery and, and validation of a solution and things like that. So that it's a little bit more congruent as opposed to just like, oh, there's a salesperson and then there's yeah. me as the engineer, you know, to, to validate the, the technicality of the solution. Okay. So, um, yeah, that was that was a really, I, I definitely recommend everybody look at that because- the, What's it called again? Is, it's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Never Ball. Split the Difference, cool. It's really, really good. And especially people that feel like sales is not for them or feel like they're not served by anything, okay. you know, in terms of negotiation or sales or just feel icky anytime they have to negotiate something, just, just give it a read. It, it'll surprise you in some of the things that will unearth within you. And, and maybe you'll take on some, uh, some new perspectives because of that. Awesome. Well, we're, we're getting uh, short here on time. So I wanted to ask you one last question and that's yeah. uh, you talked about the last two years um, kind of coming into your own now over the next two years, what's something that you're excited about? Um, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I've, you know, been continually reading more and putting more into my self-development. So 
I'm excited to see where my mind frame shifts uh, in the next two years, because even just this year, like the person I started off as is not the person I feel like I am today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I kind of have those evolutions every six months to a year anyways. But um, since, since I've kind of refocused it into really ironing out what things are truly me and what things are like trauma related and just what things are, are things that I need to knock out and, and just start doing right okay. to improve my life. Um, so I'm excited where that journey uh, is going to end up. And then, I mean, the organization that I'm a part of right now is, uh, is doing some really exciting things in terms of uh, establishing, you know, zero trust security for enterprises. And I started here in April. And so we're uh, about a 20 person company. And okay. so I'm kind of the engine as the sales engineer uh, that's kind of gonna drive us into the future here. So hopefully in two years, right, we're double, triple the size. And, yeah. uh, and, and we're having a much different conversation about you know, what I'm essentially doing, or you know, maybe I'm looking at a director in that time frame. So between uh, the knowledge that I'm looking to attain, and actually I have um, a certification that I'm trying to get I have a course and an exam okay. scheduled in uh, January um, for a CISSP certification that I'm excited for. So just that's honestly, um, I know I'm going to have some good suits in the next coming years. Yeah. So there's uh, a lot going on, a lot to be excited for. Yeah, of course. Of course. Awesome. And then and maybe eventually, uh, who, who knows if, uh, if you meet somebody and, and some things work out in that time frame, who knows, you know, it, yeah. it, it happened in two years, but um, for right now, just keep working on myself and doing those things. All right. Well, thanks for coming on today. This has been so much fun. Real pleasure. Same here. I had a lot of fun talking to you, Rich. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Johnny on Instagram at endo2dapper. Have a thoughtful and intentional day.